Hey there. Welcome to the lounge. I broke out my red cardigan sweater today. It's comfy, it's warm, and I wear it today in honor of the recent passing of Joanne Rogers, the love of Fred Rogers' life. I always dug Mr. Rogers. As a kid, he made me feel safe, even though the land of make-believe kind of freaked me out. Yeah, those puppets. I always loved the movies he'd get from Mr. McFeely and that he'd show on Picture Picture. I vividly remember one that was a visit to a sleeping bag factory. Fascinating and hypnotic. From what I've read, Fred Rogers' spouse Joanne knew how to spread the love. She was effusive and prolific with I love yous, and when she was mobbed by strangers, she always gave each person in the crowd her full attention. She was also a master of the piano. You could do worse than bring music and love into our world. Rest in peace, Joanne. The theme of our show today is love and loss. I hope you'll settle in and lounge with me for the next hour or so. We've got stories and songs and movies and recipes, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythm of the seasons. A little later, I'll talk with our musical director, John Ballinger, and his wife, Uma Nithipalan, about the love that blooms when the unexpected strikes. We'll pair a recipe and a film that'll challenge your mind, your soul, and your palate. You'll love them. And Johnny B and Double Batch Daddy are here with Songs of the Season. So, here we are. Somehow, we made it to February. Good for us. Today, the sunrise in L.A. came at 6.45, and the sunset was at 5.30. That's an hour more sunlight than we had six weeks ago, but, man, it's been a long time since the light was stronger than the darkness. I woke on February 2nd with the hope I'd hear news that the winter was over early. But you can't fight the calendar, my friends. No matter what the magic groundhog proclaims, this will always be the dead of winter. The dead of winter. This year, the Christian tradition of Lent comes a mere two days after St. Valentine's Day, the celebration inspired by the saint who was executed for performing marriages to keep men from going to war is almost immediately followed by the tradition wherein many commence a 40-day period of sacrifice and reflection that begins with a remembrance of our mortality. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, they say. The dead of winter indeed. My feelings about February are best summed up by the novelist Tom Robbins. This is from his novel, Jitterbug Perfume. They say that February is the shortest month, but you know, they could be wrong. Compared calendar page against calendar page, it looks to be the shortest, all right. Spread between January and March like lard on bread, it fails to reach the crust on either slice. In its galoshes, it's a full head shorter than December, although in leap years, when it has growth spurts, it comes up to April's nose. However more abbreviated than its cousins it may look, February feels longer than any of them. 
It is the meanest moon of winter, all the more cruel because it will masquerade as spring, occasionally for hours at a time, only to rip off its mask with a sadistic laugh and spit icicles into every gullible face. Behavior that grows quickly old. February is pitiless and it's boring. That parade of red numerals on its page adds up to zero. Birthdays of politicians? A holiday reserved for rodents? What kind of celebrations are those? The only bubble in the flat champagne of February is Valentine's Day. It was no accident that our ancestors pinned Valentine's Day on February's shirt. He or she lucky enough to have a lover in frigid, antsy February has cause for celebration indeed except to the extent that it tints the buds and swells the leaves within. February is as useless as the extra R in its name. It behaves like an obstacle, a wedge of slush and mud and ennui, holding both progress and contentment at bay. If February is the color of lard on rye, its aroma is that of wet wool trousers, as for sound, it is an abstract melody played on a squeaky violin, the petty whine of a shrew with cabin fever. Oh, February, you may be little, but you're small. Were you twice your tiresome length, few of us would survive to greet the merry month of May. In case you can't tell, February vexes me. The best I can say... With six weeks left of winter, at this halfway point to spring, at the midpoint of our long winter's nap, is that I'm beginning to see the light. I used to trust nobody, trusting even less their words. Until I found somebody, there was no one I preferred. My heart was made of stone, my eyes are only misty gray Until you came into my life, girl, I saw everyone that way Until I found the one I needed at my side I think I would have been a sad man all my life Walk alone, every step seemed the same, same, same. This world was not my home, so there was nothing much to gain. Look up and see the clouds, look down and see the cold, cold floor. Until you came into my life, girl, I saw nothing, nothing more. 
Until I found the one I needed at my side I think I would have been a sad man all my life I think I see the light Coming to me Coming through me Giving me a second sight Every once in a while, living adjacent to the heart of Hollywood has its privileges. Live from the Lounge has just become privy to a rather exciting scoop, as they say in the entertainment journalism biz. They do still say scoop, right? Okay. In any case, one of the most successful television programs on the subject of love is ABC's The Bachelor. On this program, dozens of women in their 20s and 30s compete over the course of several weeks to win the affections of a young, successful, available, and attractive, well, bachelor. They go on dates, they have romantic dinners, they make out in the hot tub, they get in fights, and they... Well, that's, that's pretty much it. It has spawned multiple spin-offs: The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, The Bachelor Presents Listen to Your Heart... And now, anonymous sources have confirmed that ABC is taking the franchise in another exciting direction. Check it out. From the producers of The Bachelor, get ready for an exciting new perspective on romance. ABC Television is proud to present the 52-year-old Bachelor. It's just like the show you know and love, but this time with old people. Candlelight dinners? Uh Uh-huh. Dramatic rose ceremonies? Sure. Romantic sunset helicopter rides? Oh, mm, I have to check on that. He's got a bit of a motion sickness thing, so... Oh, got it. Okay. Well, what kind of dream dates do they go for? Let's take a sneak peek and find out. Hey, Wendy. Hey, Dave. Wow, you look great. Well, you look absolutely gorgeous. Oh, wow, a limo. That's right. After you. Why, thank you, kind sir. Champagne? How romantic. May I? Oh, you may, you may. There you go, my dear. Aren't you going to have some? Mm, No, I'm not. Maybe later. Oh, okay. 
well, do you want to cue me in on where we're going? Well, I'm scheduled for a colonoscopy this afternoon, and I need someone there to pick me up and make sure I get home safely since I'm going to be, you know, pretty heavily sedated. Uh-huh. I asked the doctor if I could just catch an Uber, but I guess they're liable if the driver takes sure, advantage sure, of me. Sure. So, so anyway. What hospital? Uh, Kaiser. I just started with Kaiser, actually. How do you like it? You know what? I really like it. They got a great app where you can track your prescriptions and retrieve medical records. Nice. I don't know. I've just been happy with them. I was with Blue Cross before. Yeah? What made you switch? Uh, Well, I got laid off from my job due to COVID mitigation. I'm so sorry. So I had to go on the Obamacare marketplace. Oh, man. Been there. Yeah. It was tough to navigate at first. But after a while, I figured it out. I have a pre-existing condition, so, you know, I was grateful for all of it. Oh, what's your... I mean, I'm sorry. That's a really personal... Oh, no, no, no. That's totally fine. I'm, um... Well, I have what's called severe parasomnic defibrillation. It's, um... Heart palpitations brought on by chronic night terrors. No kidding. Pretty much every night, I wake up, like... I guess you could call it screaming. It's really so much louder and more violent than that. Wow. Yeah, and my heart's pounding, and I just... Do they know what causes it? Well, I'm no doctor, but I'm thinking it's like... Hmm, dwelling too much on various disappointments that have taken place over the course of my life, blah, blah, blah. Sure, sure. So... And this is on the list of pre-existing conditions? Oh, honey, anything that they can put on that list, they are going to put on that list. Of course. (laughs) I mean, stubbed your toe in the third grade? Pre-existing condition. Food poisoning from a 7-Eleven hot dog? Pre-existing condition. Mosquito bite from a camping trip? Pre-existing condition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have pretty eyes. Wow! They like to talk about their medical problems as much as I do. If you ask me, that's pretty romantic. That's right. And the romance blossoms even more when they open their hearts to each other on their first dinner date. Wow! So many candles. Champagne for mademoiselle? Um, actually, could I get an IPA? Ew. No. Oh. Just, uh, champagne. Okay. Have you tried the Skull Island IPA from Tiny Town Microbrew? Oh, I love Tiny Town, but what's Skull Island? If I understand correctly, its alcohol content is partially derived from fermented bat guano from the special cave. Oh, yes, okay, I have heard of this one. Yeah, you could only get it on the dark web. Goes great with monkfish. Well, that doesn't surprise me. You like monkfish? I... Well, yes, my feelings on that subject are complicated. Sure. If it's poached, yes. Interesting. There is this cherry pumpkin nectar that you can get at Trader Joe's. Uh Uh-huh. Mix that with a little water, a little 2% milk, and some tamari fish sauce. Oh, I've got to write this down. Bring it to a boil, throw in the monkfish for 73 seconds. Oh, man. You're good to go. My God, you're like a gourmet chef. Where did you learn this? Blue Apron. Wow, these people are very food motivated. That's sexy to me. If you think that's sexy, wait until you see what happens when they get to spend the night together in the fantasy suite. Well, here we are. Yes. This isn't awkward at all. (laughs) (laughs) Drink? Could I get a glass of water? Oh. Um, looks like it's all champagne again. Uh, well, tap water's fine. Uh, they seem to have cut off our water supply, so, uh... I'll have champagne. How about some music? Sounds good. Let me just get the remote. 
Oh, shit, they have Apple TV. <gasps> Are you watching Ted Lasso? No, but I've heard it's great. Me too, but I don't have Apple TV, so... Should we watch it? We could try one episode. Oh, my God, what time is it? Oh, oh it's about 6 a.m. Oh, man, we binged the whole thing. We had to. We don't have Apple TV. This was honestly one of the best nights I've had in a long time. You complete me. That was wild. <laughs> you bet. I mean, they stayed up really late. But this show delivers more than sexy romance. There's gripping drama as well, as our 52-year-old bachelor makes the impossible choices around who will be lucky enough to receive his affection and his rose. Wendy, I like you a lot. I could even say I love you if the producers would allow it. And I'm not just saying that because you've been such a sport about my spastic colon diagnosis. There's at least a 60% chance that I will want you to be my wife. Wendy, will you accept this rose? Oh, gosh. I've really enjoyed our time together, and I've been very happy to support you on your journey to find the right diet. But I have to say, I just don't know that I'm up for this drastic of a lifestyle change. I just love gluten too much. Plus, I live in Maryland, and you live in Utah. I just don't see this working out. Oh. Is that a dick thing to say? I mean, I, I, I don't even know your middle name. I don't know if your parents are still alive. I mean, we're, we're basically acquaintances. I mean, I, I wish you all the best. Of course. Am I being a dick? No, no, don't worry about it. Well, I guess we should get on the helicopter and fly back to the mansion. Brian! Huh? My middle name! It's Brian! Oh, that's a nice name! I still think we just don't know each other well enough. Are you coming? You go ahead. I'm gonna walk back. My stomach's still a little iffy. I appreciate that. See you on Facebook. Everything old really is new again. You bet. Don't miss the 52-year-old Bachelor. Fridays at 7, right before Shark Tank. Only on ABC. So that's our scoop. If you're 52 years old and were offended by this portrayal of your age bracket, please email livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. And we promise we'll ignore it. Looking for a furry buddy to keep you company this Valentine's Day? Now is a great time to adopt a pet from L.A. Animal Services. With several locations throughout the city, L.A. Animal Services has dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, turtles, guinea pigs, chickens, and more, all looking for a good home. If you're not ready for a full-time commitment, consider fostering a cat or dog for a couple weeks. They'll enjoy the vacation and the change of scenery from kennel life, and you'll be able to provide valuable information, photos, and videos of your furry house guest that can then be used to help them find a permanent home. And if you're lucky enough to already have a pet, 
LA Animal Services offers many resources to keep you and your pet healthy and happy, including free or low-cost spay and neuter vouchers and the Pet Food Pantry, which happens on the second and fourth Monday of every month. Be sure to make an appointment to pick up free food for your pet. To see adoptable pets and make appointments for services, go to LAAnimalServices.com or call 888-452-7381. I met John Ballinger in 2003, and we hit it off immediately. That's not saying much, though. John tends to hit it off with just about everybody he meets. He's a multi-instrumentalist, composer, singer-songwriter, and he's a professor of music at Cal State L.A. His wife, Uma Nithipalan, is an accomplished actor who absolutely floored me in a production of Pentecost at the Evidence Room Theater where she performed the story of the creation in Hindi with unforgettable passion and precision. John and Uma were the king and queen of the Los Angeles theater scene, and I'm grateful that they agreed to share with us their extraordinary story of love through loss to deeper love. We had to start our interview over due to technical difficulties, but I had to leave in one of Uma's answers because it was too cool to lose. My apologies for the slightly garbled audio. I'm so glad you both are here. Uh, since the theme of our show today is love and loss, I wanted to ask you, first of all, what was your idea of love before you met each other? I just wanted to act. That's what I wanted. Um, I didn't really feel uh, love before John. I I was not Uma Nithipal, and I wanted to do another you wanted face. To be someone else yeah. in, in your acting. And so I was like, okay, that's what I want. And I didn't want um, going and doing like uh, dating or anything like that. I was like... Nope. John, what about you? You know, I think they were, you know, on the surface, a lot like other people. I had seen movies. I'd read stories. I, I thought I had been in love. I told exes that I loved them. But I, I in retrospect, I, I don't think I really examined any kind of question like that. What does it actually mean to me? It was an unexamined event based on my senses, but not even all of them. Like, I didn't really care what a person sounded like. I cared what they looked like, what they tasted like, what they smelled like, what they felt. You know, it was primitive and uh, and uh, small. And how did you guys meet and fall in love? I went to a, a party and I just I looked at John and I was like, what? And I was like in love. I was like. <laughs> I guess I don't know what happened, but I was just like, oh, I'm in love. And I, I don't know why. I don't know what happened, but. <laughs> what about you, John? Tell us your well, side of the story on this one. Yeah, I, I, I think she fell in love with me a lot sooner than I did with her. We met at a theater party. I was a little drunk when I met her. Uh, she was different than anybody else at the party. And she seemed sort of darkly witty. And I was basically in a place in my life where I just wanted to escape my reality and um, was ready to enlist the help of anybody who wanted to join me on that. 
I've heard it said that a uh, woman chases a man until he catches her. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe a, a man, a, a woman chases a man until the man catches up to her. When did you know, John? When did you know that you were in love with Uma? I think I fell in love with her, started to fall in love with her on the first night after we slept together the first time. And this actually has to do with me being able to sleep through the night next to somebody. That had not happened in all my relationships. And I thought, wow, that's important to me. So you fell in love. John, you were a, a touring musician at the time, and you found yourself in New York City with some free time. Fast forward from the night we met, I think, two and a half years, I think, if memory serves. And by that time, I had indeed fallen deeply in love with Uma, and our relationship had coalesced to a point where I actually wanted to make it permanent. And on Christmas Eve, 2006, I proposed marriage to her while I was on a break in Los Angeles from the Dancing with the Stars national tour. So I asked her to, to marry me. And then the, a few days later, I had to fly out to get to rejoin the tour after our break. January 30th, we had three days off in Manhattan. And while I had been on a few tours with uh, Rufus Wainwright and a couple other band, bands through New York, I had never had any real money. The Dancing with the Stars tour paid very well. And I decided, you know, I'm going to fly Uma out here for the three days we have off. And we're going to party with money in Manhattan. And then there was an unexpected wrinkle in that plan, right? You want me to tell this part? Oh, yeah, because I can't. Okay. Uma arrived before I did. Our buses were coming in from Washington, D.C. And um, when I first arrived, we made love. And in the, in the middle of that, Uma experienced a ruptured brain aneurysm of her anterior choroidal artery, which is uh, adjacent, just arises out of the internal carotid artery. And um, she, she um, not so much collapsed into what's called a decerebrate seizure. She exploded into this. And it was, um, I've, I've, uh, I've experienced a lot of things in life. I've seen people killed, and this is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. It was a violent seizure. It was bloody. Uh, there were tears. It was bodily fluids. Uh, it lasted about 45 or 50 seconds, and then she started to come out of it and um, called the ambulance, and then there was another. <laughs> there were several subsequent hells to go through uh, before she received her endoscopic coiling of that aneurysm. Where the aneurysm took place was too deep in the brain for the operation where they slice your skull open and go in and clip the aneurysm. So they did it endoscopically and put a little platinum coil in there, charged it with electricity, which gave the clotting agents of her blood some tooth. But after that, the, the damage was done. She could not breathe on her own, swallow, speak. She was in a coma. Um, yeah. And you flew her back to Los Angeles? After about 30 days, uh, our friend Eric Patterson organized an online fundraiser and uh, raised about $30,000 in, in about 72 hours, which is what an air ambulance costs to fly somebody home with a medical crew. The level of, of loss is staggering to me on both sides. Uma, you lost 
consciousness. You lost your health, your ability to move, to speak, to to eat. And John, you lost your love, although she was still there. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of loss from going in a moment from three days of debauchery in New York to... It was a shattering in, in every way. Everything I had consciously or unconsciously dreamt of and worked for, hoped for, uh, and wanted was amputated instantly from, from me. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about what it feels like to you to lose these things. Well, I had an years of stroke, but um, it's devastating for me because I can't act, I can't read, I can't, it's, I have to walk, I have to, um, and it's, it's, it's very hard every day to wake up and I'm like, oh, every day it's going to be always hard. It's very difficult. Every day, every day is, there are difficulties every day. Right. In the face of a loss like that, a lot of folks would leave. What made you stay, John? That is a good question, and and you're right. There was one of our best nurses in New York came to me about two weeks into this thing and said, you know, John, you're just a fiancé. You don't need to stay. And there were indeed a lot of spouses in, in our ICU who did not stay. What made me stay, I think, there was a sense of bonding with Uma that she, she and I had both worked for. No matter what had happened to her, I still saw on some level that doesn't have anything to do with my five senses or however few I used. I still saw my mate, my friend, and I just couldn't, I just could not turn my back on her. She went from being your lover to your beloved. Yeah, yeah. To, to someone I cared about, to someone I cared for. John, we spoke uh, earlier about reality. Yeah, um, the life that I had known and dreamt about and worked for was over. And it, it didn't go out quietly. It went out violently. So me coming around to accepting what had happened to Uma and what my new role was did not happen suddenly at all. The first seven years were the toughest and the the last seven have been somewhat easier. And then the last six months, six or seven months due to this pandemic, I'm still learning. But the, the pain of fighting against this reality became too much to bear. We wanna find ways to not have pain. We wanna find ways to not be uncomfortable. Um, and for me, just through the hard knocks, I found that avoiding reality and avoiding the instruction of pain and discomfort was a lot worse than anything reality had to offer. The ability to accept reality for what it is. Yeah. How has that changed your perception of love? For me, there is no love without a strong commitment to reality. I don't, th I don't think I experience any love at all if I'm not right here in the moment 
with whatever reality is, whatever discomfort or pain is there. If I'm not there, I don't have any love. Uma, what was your experience dealing with this new reality? I know you went through a process of denial as well. Oh, uh, drinking. Um, I mean, I was trying, I was trying to act after my injury. Um, and the last time I was drinking in the... the During the show. Yeah, I went to the... Uh, went and uh, drunk, and then I don't... A uh, blackout, I just didn't know, and I was just like a belligerent, and, you know, I was just... I, I don't remember because I was... And I went how many, like, one, two, three times in jail. I went and did uh, one, two, three times. I went to uh, rehabilitation, uh, but I couldn't read or write. So everybody's doing reading and writing and all that. And I just wanted to drink even more, you know. Um, I went to the refuge. The refuge is a rehab in Florida. And there's no writing or anything, just talking, 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 talking. I was just like, really? Oh, my God. So and the, the trauma of my mom and all that stuff. And it was great. Um, but then I went home and I uh, I wanted to drink. So I went to the liquor store and I broke my nose. Fell and broke your nose. Yeah. Yeah. After that, I had one, two, three bottles, and I went to sleep and woke up, and I went to AA, and I just, every day until right now, uh, five, six, seven, eight years of sobriety, and but now I am awake, like, really awake, and I was just like, oh, I want to vote, I want to uh, go, I love politics. I really love politics. And yes, today, oh my God, a woman, uh, Indian, uh, um, yeah. black. It was just so like, oh my God. And I want to talk about everything before I'm, I was just in my head. So that was the rebirth yeah. of Uma. What is your idea of love today? Real. <laughs> it, it, it is real. It's it's good, bad, or so-so. It's it's all colors of the rainbow. We're we're we're, we're um, a yin and a yang. We're very yeah. yeah. It's still it's still a marriage. <laughs> Which for anybody who's who's been married for for fifteen or sixteen years knows that that. We're still just a married couple. But before, um, when I was drinking, I was not there. Yeah. That's the thing. Before we finish, John, if you could tell me what you love about Uma. So many of the things that I love about her now, I want to say they're ineffable, but they're the most solid things I've ever experienced. Things like? Things like her spirit. The essence of who she is, injury or not, her doggedness <laughs> through all things, her strength, her softness, and how those things combine. 
um, her endless ability to want to be around and forgive me. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> um, I think Uma is one of the most beautiful women who's ever graced the planet. That's not hard to wake up to. Uma, what about you? What do you love about John? John is just so lovely. I just, if John was not there, I, I would die. And he stayed. And that is just so amazing because like nobody in my family is in LA. No, it's like it, nobody in my family feel love, you know? So John is there and she's always grounded. It's a yin and a yang. Like John is like trying to go and just say, can you like exercise or do this and whatever? And I'm the other way. I'm like, no, I want the other side of the coin, you know? And it's like, um, it, it makes, uh, it makes a whole coin. Yeah. Yeah. There is so much more to the relationship of John and Uma than we can possibly cover in 15 minutes, but I'm glad they were willing to share a little bit of their journey with us. John wrote this song for Uma and in it, he sums up the secret to their relationship very simply. And I'll stay, and you'll stay. And that's how we move. I guess the secret to staying in love is to stay in love. This is How We Move.
Welcome back to the dinner and a movie segment here on Live from the Lounge. Although I think this might better be described as the dessert and a movie segment. Valentine's Day is coming up and we wanted to think of a, of a good love story to treat you all to. But there are really so many. And uh, I'm bringing in a special guest today, my daughter, Ruby Farley. Welcome, Ruby. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you were the one that recommended the movie that we're recommending today. You want to tell us what it is? Uh, yes, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude, 1971, directed by Hal Ashby, uh, who gets most of the credit usually, but I wanted to make sure that Colin Higgins also gets props because he's the one that dreamed up um, this amazing story. Harold and Maude has an interesting history, uh, released in 1971, so it's the 50th anniversary this year. Yay! And it was released to not much fanfare and some lackluster box office. And I wouldn't think that it would, especially not in 1971. This film is so revolutionary on so many different aspects. It's anti-war. It's anti-bigotry. It's all about life and love and not accepting the norms that you're given. I first came across this movie in like the early 80s. Uh, it was always part with a um, Midnight Movies that came out, which of course started in the late 70s when the Rocky Horror Picture Show became right. a rite of passage for theater kids across the United States. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they usually would program movies keyed to a stoner demographic. Right. The song remains the same, the Led Zeppelin movie, yeah. The Kids Are All Right, yeah. uh, freaky horror movies like yeah. Phantasm. Which are all more graphic. Or just you know, or, trippy as heck. Right, right. You just want to go and you want to sit and you want to watch a bunch of crazy stuff that you think you'd never see. And I, you know, I remember the first time I saw it, I had remembered hearing about it. It stuck with me because they were like, it's a movie about a relationship between a young man and an older woman. And I remember thinking in my mind that it would be this raunchy thing that would, like, I would be like, that's awful, you know? Like, how could anybody 
put an old woman and a young man together. And then I remember being like, let's 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 try to find it somewhere. And I, I looked it up and I watched the trailer and I remember the trailer was everything that I did not expect this movie to be. At the end of the trailer, you know, it's like we give acceptance to old and young people and gay people and anti-war. And it's just like shouting out all these things so loud and so clear and so blatant. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. I felt like I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. This is what life is about. Life is about love and it's about acceptance. It's about letting everybody be exactly who they are and who they want to be. That's the message of Harold and Maude. Exactly. And when I went to see it, thinking it was this crazy midnight movie, exactly. I fully expected like pink flamingos, right. exactly like what you said. <laughs> right. Some really, Something really crazy. freaky stuff yeah. going on. And it turns out to be a really sweet love it's story. It's about the transformation of a neglected child. It's about getting support for the first time in somebody's life. This movie was support for me. It gave me hope. It gave me like that that extra push of saying you have to let go of mod, but once you let go of mod, you're open and free to do and love anything. You know, and 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 when I finished watching that movie for the first time I did, I felt like I was free to do and love anything I wanted. And what could be better for Valentine's Day exactly. than a movie about freedom to love more fully? Yeah. It's not malicious at all. Never at one point do you ever feel like she's using him or, you know, preying upon him because she's older. You know, she teaches him to be the child that he is. Also, it's a richly imaginative uh, film. Yes. And this will take us into our recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the odorifics. Yeah. It's a sensory experience. It's like something out of like a Willy smell. Wonka movie. Like exactly. you would you would you would expect that at Willy Wonka's factory. It's magical. You see him taking in each breath from this crazy machine that she turns on and you and you see him smell all these things that she's put into this little like tube there's all sorts of stuff like that one time she's sitting at the piano playing a right. song and then <laughs> she, she gets up and dances but the piano keeps playing even yeah. though it's not a player piano yeah. magic happens around mod but isn't that what life is like that and that's what love feels like little magic moments and, and that's Maude's whole thing is she's like, I'm the reminder that life is fleeting. One of the great things about this movie, too, was trying to find a way in culinarily. There's not a lot of food in Harold and Maude. And what I did discover in doing a little bit of research it's on it. It's all organic. That's for that's sure. Right. The two things that she talks about food wise, one is oat straw tea, mm. which I can't imagine <laughs> would be worth drinking at all. <laughs> but the other one is is ginger pie. Mm. And I think that it is as much Maud offering herself up to Harold as it is about the actual dish, which they do then partake of. But she does say, um, I'll heat some up. You know, she's heating up <laughs> she, her well, ginger the, the pie. The whole scene is, is her sexual innuendos. So... I did go looking, and you went looking, mm-hmm. and we each found a recipe for ginger pie. Yes. The one that I found uh, is from a blog, which will be posted in our uh, on the website and on our socials. Um, yeah. It's an homage to Harold, Harold and Maude. Maude. Yeah. And so he created a, a, a ginger pie recipe, uh, and the centerpiece of this custard pie, basically, yeah. is 
uh, about a third of a cup of minced ginger soaked in rum. So it is a very potent, spicy, snappy snappy pie. pie. And uh, the one that you found. I found a ginger cream pie, which is a little a little on the sweeter side. It's got a caramel bottom and a, a ginger pudding middle and a whipped cream top. And I like to top mine with some ginger and um, cinnamon powder just to give it a little extra kick. But it's definitely more mild version of the other pie that we've made. And as we were making these last night, you came up. With the perfect I did. I had completion an observation. <laughs> I did. I think you did. When you look at these two pies, it, it feels like you're eating Harold and Maude. You have your <laughs> I think I think my pie is more of like the the new, you know, younger pie for those who have a sweet tooth. It's delicious. You can't go wrong. It tastes the, like a churro. Let's, let, let me try it. Let's see. <laughs> let me take a big bite right now. I'm, That's a cream pie. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love a cream pie? The ginger's a little lax. Almost non-existent. But man, the caramel bottom is fluffy. It's nice. You'd kill yourself for this kind of pie. It's a really, really nice cream pie. Well, let's go to Maud's <laughs> ginger <laughs> pie, sir. if I may risk some ribaldry. <laughs> Ooh, that's gingery. Oh, yeah. It's delicious, though. Mm. You get a little bit of lemon. Mm-hmm. That lemon zest has mm-hmm. some lemon zest in it. And you get a lot of ginger. Mm-hmm. Ginger really nice. kicks. It's still smooth. It's creamy, almost. It's, it's like a creamy ginger snap. It's like a tart, yeah. And I'm getting some nice heat now, too, to it. on the top, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely a kick from this one. Well, it's the Harold and, and Maude. Of Hi. ginger pies, which is part of Harold and Maude, which is our movie recommendation for you. So check out the movies, check out the recipes, and let us know what you think. We're on all the social media networks. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And you can reach us directly at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. Ruby, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And before we go, I just want to mention that Harold and Maude does have several scenes that deal with suicide in a darkly comic way. If you or someone you know is having dark thoughts at this time of year, I wanted to make you aware of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. You know Al Gore as the former Vice President of the United States. Did you remember that he's also an Oscar winner? The 2006 film An Inconvenient Truth won the Oscar for Best Documentary of 2006. In it, Mr. Gore presented a slideshow that explained the science behind climate change. In the 14 years since his Oscar win, Mr. Gore and his scientific advisors have been constantly updating that slideshow with the most current information— on the science, on the insane weather events happening all over the world, but also on the positive changes taking place that give reasons for optimism. Now, what if I told you you could get your very own live presentation of this new slideshow by someone personally trained by former Vice President Gore? And what if I told you they could present to your club, church, community group, or any other gathering you could think of, small or large? And what if I told you they could present it over Zoom and that they would do it for free? Well, it's all true. 
And all you have to do to schedule a presentation is email your request to the Los Angeles chapter of the Climate Reality Project at laclimatereality at gmail.com. That's laclimatereality at gmail.com. And to learn more about all the other wonderful work happening in the L.A. chapter of the Climate Reality Project, visit www.laclimatereality.org. I performed a handful of weddings for friends and family over the years, and I usually begin with this little bit about love. And as we approach Valentine's Day, it feels appropriate to share with you. It goes like this. Dearly beloved. Isn't that a lovely way to start? Dearly beloved. Not, hello, friends, or howdy, neighbor, or what's up, acquaintance. No. We begin by recognizing that we gather here as the dearly beloved circle of these two people. I think our thoughts and feelings today are best expressed in the words of the mystic purple dinosaur who sings, I love you, you love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Childish, right? But I would also argue that it's foundational. For what is the first and most important thing we teach our children if not that they are loved and that if they love back, that makes us a family? And how do we show this love to each other? Why, with a hug and a kiss, of course. And on this day, what are these two lovebirds going to do during this wedding ceremony if not declare their love for each other, thereby becoming a family? And how are they going to seal the deal? With a kiss, of course. So happy Valentine's Day. Isn't it nice that in the middle of the winter we get a chance to celebrate love? Right between the festivities of the end of the year and the celebration of new life that comes in the spring is this tiny little moment to honor your beloved. Maybe share a small feast, pop a cork, Indulge in some sweets before climbing into a warm bed on a cold night to cuddle and coo. It's a nice respite from the bleak midwinter, but in the gray light of the morning of February 15th, we put our feet back onto the cold floor halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. It's been dark since October, and frankly... It's getting a little old. I was once in a show at the Cleveland Playhouse in December and January, and after the performance one night, I was talking with the bartender at the theater, saying how novel I thought the winter weather was, being from California and all, and knowing that I was going back there in a week or so. He said to me, Yeah, you're lucky you don't have to be here in February. I get that. In my youth, I'd often catch a cold in February and be absolutely certain that my life was over. 
Once, in my 20s, I actually convinced myself that I'd contracted a viral hemorrhagic fever or a deadly version of the flu. In my defense, this was the era of the Hot Zone book, and I think I'd just finished reading The Stand for the second time. Never mind that they're both works of fiction. I was convinced that somehow I had contracted a weaponized version of the flu and that this winter would surely be my last. In February of 1995, I was a newlywed, working as a PA at Klasky Chupo Incorporated, the animation studio that made Rugrats in the early seasons of The Simpsons. I was in my usual February funk, wondering if I'd survive to see the summer when a promo came on the radio that I kept at my desk. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. It's Ash Wednesday on All Things Considered. I hadn't been to church in at least a dozen years, but the recognition of this ritual pondering of our mortality got me thinking. A week or two before, my new wife Anne and I had been driving along the Wilshire Corridor between Western and Alvarado. It's a glorious stretch of Wilshire that runs between the snazzy Art Deco Wiltern Theater, past the classy Bullocks, just past Vermont, which is now a law library, and it finishes with a curvy flourish at MacArthur Park. This stretch on Wilshire was dubbed in the 1920s Fifth Avenue West, and it's the neighborhood where newly arrived Angelinos set up homes in the early 20th century. The wealthy built mansions in Hancock Park just to the west, and working bachelors and newlyweds had lovely one-bedroom or studio apartments in buildings like the Asbury and the Gaylord. To serve the religious needs of this neighborhood, a series of huge temples, synagogues, and churches were built. Anne and I craned our necks to take in the diversity of the architecture and marvel at the craftsmanship that made these massive buildings so striking. One particular cathedral caught our eye. It was French Gothic in design with elaborate arches and a bell tower that we fully expected held a lusty hunchback or two. I glanced at the marquee and noticed that it was a Presbyterian church. Oh, wow, I exclaimed. I'm a Presbyterian, so I can go there. But you can't, because you're Catholic. Anne gave me a playful sock on the arm. <laughs> I'm kidding. You could totally pass as a Presbyterian. We're very welcoming. As I sat at my desk that February morning, I remembered that cool-looking Presbyterian cathedral, and I vaguely remembered that on Ash Wednesday they usually hold services at noon, don't they? I thought, what the heck, I'll drive over there at lunch and see what's going on. When I got there, the Ash Wednesday service had already ended, but I decided that I'd come this far and might as well explore the joint for a bit. Emmanuel Presbyterian on Wilshire Boulevard is a glorious labyrinth of a church. Hallways weave and meander, there are staircases everywhere, and each one leads to a new wonder as they climb three stories to upstairs offices and another three through the parish house, leading up to a full gymnasium and above that to handball courts on the roof. I wandered, I explored, it was great. As I was heading back to my car, 
I heard organ music coming from beyond a set of wooden doors. I quietly pulled them open, and I entered the sanctuary of the church. All stone and rich, dark wood with stained glass windows depicting the apostles and the stations of the cross and a 50-foot arched ceiling vaulting above me. There were at least a thousand seats on the floor and another six or seven hundred above in the balcony. But I was the only person in the room. Just me and the organist practicing a difficult section of a piece. I took a seat and marveled at the acoustics that carried the prowess of the organist and the power of this instrument made entirely of pipes and pumps. As I sat, I remembered the Februaries in my past where I was certain that my life was coming to an end. It occurred to me then that in my own neurotic way, I'd been pondering my own mortality in sync with the traditions I'd grown up with. At that moment, my mind turned to my grandfather, my mom's dad, who passed away from a sudden heart attack when I was ten. He was charming and funny. I loved him dearly. In the years since his passing, he'd often visit me in dreams, with bright eyes and a warm smile, a cigarette dangling from his lips. I felt his presence there with me. He wanted to know why I was still smoking. I had no really good answer for him, probably just because I was hooked on them. You should let them go. I imagined him saying. And as I sat there, I felt the need to smoke cigarettes dissipate. On my way back to my car, I dropped my last pack into the garbage can in the church parking lot. I felt lighter somehow driving back to work, and I started thinking about all those winter colds that I was sure were leading to my demise. All the Februaries where it felt impossible to get out of my warm waterbed, to don layers of sweaters and rain gear so I could go to a sociology class, all the way up to this very February day where I'd been sitting at my desk feeling sluggish and uncertain. The pattern was unmistakable. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. It was years later that I learned about Seasonal Affective Disorder. It seems appropriate that the acronym spells SAD. I'm grateful that my symptoms are mildish, and recognizing this pattern in my life, even before I knew what it was called, has given me permission to feel low during the winter months without having to add an extra layer of fatalistic neuroses to the pile. Do you know what one of the main treatments for seasonal affective disorder is? A light that mimics sunshine. Makes sense, doesn't it? There's a dearth of sunshine in February, even in sunny Los Angeles. And without sunlight, it's very easy to slip into depression if we're not careful. But if we are careful, If we're thoughtful and accepting of the truth that it's perfectly normal to feel a little down this time of year, maybe we can use the experience to our advantage. To ponder and release the things in our life 
that are ready to pass away. I wonder what's passing away for you this February. What can you let go of? What's holding you back? What patterns work for you? And what patterns don't anymore? Let them pass. It's the perfect season to take stock and lose that which doesn't serve. It's also the perfect season to reach out and let the special people in your life know that you love them. Maybe you're in a committed relationship, maybe you aren't. But I know there's someone out there that you love. A parent, a teacher, a co-worker, a rabbi, or a neighbor. It's time to show them that you care somehow. Because after all, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. I can't wait to hear what you're letting go of this February. I also want to see and hear your expressions of love for those around you. Share your experiments and experiences with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or send us an email at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com.
And that's our lounge. I hope we're sending you back into the winter cold with a warm heart, at least. As Fred Rogers once said, it's important to know when we need to stop, reflect, and receive. I think February is the perfect time to do all those things. Here's the who did what. Our lounge is produced by Anne Kloss Farley. The 52-year-old Bachelor was written by Carolyn and Matt Almos. William Salyers played the title character. Rebecca Metz played Wendy. And our announcers were voiced by Brian Kimmett and Mary O'Malley. Double Batch Daddy is our house band. You heard Cal on vocals and bass, Dutch on vocals and guitar, and Bax on drums. You can find loads of their performances on YouTube. John Ballinger is our musical director. He wrote, arranged, and performed How We Move with Tracy Bonham on backing vocals and strings. How We Move is from John's album Blue Room, which you can find on Bandcamp. And deepest thanks to Uma Nithipalan for sharing her challenges and joys with us. I'm Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so to share more songs and stories and movies and recipes, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. <laughs>